Welcome to an exclusive recording of the Shepherd's Path, the Seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, taught by Sheikh Muhammad al-Sharif rahimahullah, in July of 2008. This episode is brought to you by Blessed Voyage, taking knowledge beyond the classroom. Blessed Voyage is our flagship service taking you around the world with the expert guidance of our instructors. Whether you dream of going on Hajj or Umrah, visiting Al-Aqsa, or seeing the Islamic world with your own eyes, Blessed Voyage turns your travels into a transformative, memorable learning experience. So we were speaking about the challenges the Prophet ﷺ said intimately. We were speaking about the poverty of the Prophet ﷺ, the poverty issues. And we also spoke about the deaths of the family members. We spoke about the community and their abuse of the Prophet ﷺ. And now what we're speaking about is the girls of the Prophet ﷺ. Now, we're not living in a culture that belittles the birth of girls. Right? So if someone has a girl, alhamdulillah, we're not... In fact, girls are preferred because they're so sweet in comparison to little boys. Little boys will be like all tough and making trouble, but the girl, she's always like, I love you, I love you, I love you, all this stuff. But if you went to another country, if you went to another country and you had daughters, they'll ask you a question like this, has Allah blessed you with boys? And you say something like, no, not yet, and stuff like that. And they're like, inshallah, may Allah give you boys. It's like, the, the fact that you have daughters, it's like, okay, that aside, you know, like, the greatest goal is, you know, is to have a boy and, and, and whatnot. And now that's just subtle. In other cultures, it can get much more intense than that, right? And I'm talking about Muslim cultures here. This is like jahiliya attitudes. I wish we could be saying, oh, before in Jahili, but there's still these Jahili attitudes where if someone has like a girl, they might even divorce the woman. Like somebody, you know, the woman, you know, had a daughter, daughter, and he was like, divorces her because she only gives birth to girls. And then when, you know, she gives birth to a boy, then, you know, that's it. You know, she's on the pedestal. She's the mother of a boy. Or a family member, uh, the family, for example, if a woman gives birth to a girl, like there's no celebration. And if a woman gives birth to a boy, you know, the whole family comes and they give her cash gives and, you know, congratulations, you had a boy, and so on. And then you can have, in much more intense, I'm not saying this is Islamic culture, but in other cultures, they might actually, if they find out that they had a girl, they would have an abortion. Right? That's not an Islamic culture. They wouldn't be doing that in a Muslim country. But in other cultures, that would be the case that, oh, they're only allowed, you know, X amount of children in China or something like that. And then, okay, if they, if they had these scans, they find out it's a girl, they want a boy. And you can keep going on in other cultures. <laughs> the woman is the one giving the dowry, right? I would laugh, but the problem is many of you are from that culture. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? The woman is the one who gave a, an insufficient dowry to the husband. And so it's almost like, subhanAllah, in Islam, you'll notice that all these women, the Arabs in, in pre-Islam, their jahiliyyah, they would belittle the girls. And then Islam, you know, and the men would marry like, you know, a hundred women, doesn't care. Doesn't women. So to them, when they'd have a girl, she's just one of a hundred women that some guy's going to marry and divorce as he likes and so on and so forth. Islam came and said, you're not allowed to marry the woman until you give her money. And now in other cultures where their religion isn't defending the girls, the girls have to give money to the husband when they get married. It's like, please marry me. Here's like $1 million. I'll pay you in installments. <laughs> and then, or even subhanAllah, and I've heard this, and you might know better, where families are you know, asking to collect money 
So they're like, why do you need the money? We need the loan. What do you need the loan for? We're trying to get our daughter married. We have to collect the dowry money in order to get a man to marry our daughter. And this is what happens when people leave their Islamic practices. Now the Prophet ﷺ, the Arabs are definitely at a much more intense level before Islam where they'd actually kill their daughters. Like I said, these days it's abortion, so they're killing their daughters at stages earlier than that. So you're not seeing a child being killed, but that's what they're doing, they're killing a child. But at that time, they would have to wait till the birth. So when the child is born, sometimes the woman would give birth at the side of like a cliff or a ditch. If she gives birth to a boy, she's like giving birth like on her own. If she gives birth to a boy, she comes back to the family and says, hey husband, hey family, I've given birth to a boy and rejoice in celebration. If she gives birth to a girl, like don't come home with the baby. So they would take the baby if it's a girl and they would like throw her into the ditch. This was like their abortion. Or what would be more barbaric than that is they would actually wait a few years and then, subhanAllah, I wouldn't even say kill their daughter, they'd bury their daughter alive. And I would think like even if you're gonna kill your daughter, why would you choose such a horrific way to kill your daughter? And there was a companion عنه, that was one of the governors of Umar عنه, at the time of Umar and before Islam. And, and I'm just giving you a glimpse of what Islam saved them from. SubhanAllah, I was, I was walking through the airport in London here and there's like a bar in every corner. Like everywhere you go there's alcohol. And there was so much, you know, even like as you're walking, even, you know there's a musalla in Terminal 3? It smells like alcohol right outside there. Because there's like, you know, alcohol place there. And, you know, everywhere you go, there's like alcohol, alcohol. Even in residential areas. I went to brother's home here. And there's like a bar in the, at the bottom of his residential area. Like there's just bars and pubs and everything. This is just the culture. And I thought to myself, if I lived in this culture, it's not as intense in Canada. But if I lived in this culture, what is saving me from drinking this alcohol? It's only my Islam. Otherwise, the pressure, it's like if you surround someone with uh, chocolate cake and there's chocolate cake around them, what are they going to do? They're going to eat the chocolate cake. But Islam is protecting the person from committing that haram. Now, in their cultures, Islam is taking them and protecting them from these situations. When culture just takes control, it leads these people to become barbaric. So they would, uh, this, um, this governor of Umar anhu, when he came to visit them, they said, you know, they're complaining. And they said, our governor, sometimes he just cries. Like cries, in, in, you know, uh, so excessively. And Umar anhu was like asking him about this. And, and there was a couple of situations. But this person, when he was before Islam, his wife, you know, she gave birth to a girl. And so there's this humiliation, they can't go out in the community, they're embarrassed from everybody until you know, she you know, reached this, this young age and then he told his wife, you know, prepare her, I'm taking her to her relatives. And that was the code word for, I'm going to kill her. And so his wife is saying to her, uh, to her husband, don't break your responsibility. Don't break your responsibility. Our responsibility is a father. But he didn't listen to her, he took his daughter, and then he dug the grave. He dug the grave that he was going to bury her into. What do little girls do when they see their father working? They want to help him. So she was helping him dig the grave. And 
he got sand in his beard and she was brushing the sand off of him. Until the grave was dug, he put his daughter into the grave and then he threw the, the dust on her until he killed her. And this was before Islam. And then he would cry. He would always remember crying. Remember that situation and cry? And he said, now I ask you. The people who were asking him why he was cry. he said, do I have a reason to cry? Do I have a reason to cry? Islam had saved them from this. And subhanAllah, you've been blessed with Islam that you don't understand what you've been saved from. You don't understand this. I have noticed in the Western culture that there has been this drive to study like Buddhism and spirituality. And there's a book about how this, you know, this famous lawyer, he like leaves, he has a heart attack in the court and then he leaves it, he sells his Ferrari, sells, you know, his house and he goes into the mountains. It goes in amongst these Buddhists looking for spirituality. SubhanAllah, I learned something from that book. And I said that truly, when you are not a slave to Allah, when you're not a slave, you think that, oh, you have all this freedom, right? If you're not a slave to Allah, in fact, you're running in blindness. You're running in blindness and it hurts so much because you can't stop the roller coaster. And so I realized at that point that Instead of, you know when you go to someone and you say, in Islam, there's no alcohol. In Islam, there's no eating pork. In Islam, there's no fornication. In Islam, there's no adultery. And you go through the list of all the things that are haram, you might think that this will push someone away from Islam. But for the people that understand, this will bring them, they will say, this is what I've been looking for. Something that can give me freedom from my desires. Something that can liberate me from just all this media and cultural emphasis to do this and do that, so that I am following principles. So I am following that which will bring me life in this life and in the hereafter. That discipline is what the people are searching for. They're craving it because that's how Allah created them. To crave that discipline, that worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because they've had it with the lack of discipline. So the Prophet ﷺ, all his boys, when his son would die, when one of his sons died in Mecca, now imagine you had a death, and someone says to you, ha ha, your child died. It becomes a point of ridicule that his son has died, and they're still mocking him and ridiculing him for the death of his son. What they would say is that the Prophet ﷺ is al-abtar. Al-abtar means the one cut off. He has no boys. So when his son died, al-as, Al-As in Mecca was starting uh, to spread ridicule of the Prophet ﷺ that he was al-abtar, the one cut off. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed Surah Al-Kawthar, إِنَّا أَعْطَيْنَاكَ الْكَوْثَرِ فَصَلِّ لِرَبِّكَ وَانْحَرِ إِنَّ شَانِئَكَ هُوَ الْأَبْتَرِ In these verses Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّا أَعْطَيْنَاكَ الْكَوْثَرِ Verily we gave you this al-kawthar, this abundance. So pray to your Lord and do sacrifice. right? The person who hates you, he's the one cut off. He's the one cut off. But, see, but the point that I'm saying here is that even in the situation with the boys and girls, they use it as a point to ridicule and harm the Prophet the examples of the Prophet's connection to his daughters, as you said, when Khadija died, that he was the one taking care of his daughters. And so he married them, 
And we spoke about the situation with Zainab when she gave the, um, the jewelry to ransom her husband, the Prophet cried for Khadija and cried for um, you know, his daughter and wanted the jewelry to be returned uh, to his daughter as he asked people. And the people that harmed Zainab, the Prophet sent the companions to go and kill those people that had harmed Zainab and come in her path. With Fatima radiallahu anha, this is actually an interesting point. A lot of sisters bring this one up. And that is Ali radiallahu anhu was going to marry a second wife. I think this is, how many sisters know this situation? How many brothers know it? <laughs> okay, many of the sisters, not, not too many brothers know it. Fatima radiallahu anha was married to Ali radiallahu anhu. And Ali radiallahu anhu was going to marry a second wife. His second wife her father was one of the mushrikeen. And so, um, even though his daughter was Muslim, Ali is going to marry her, and the Prophet said basically that whatever hurts Fatima hurts me. And that the, the daughter of the Messenger of Allah and the daughter of the enemy of Allah cannot join together under one man. In the different hadith. But basically that if Fatima anha would be hurt, if someone hurt her, this would hurt the Prophet And if the Prophet is angry, that person will fall into destruction. If the Prophet is angry at someone. These were his daughters In Sahih Muslim, there's a chapter that says, Bab, like chapter, Fadlul Ihsani ilal Banat. In Sahih Muslim, it says, chapter, the virtue of treating girls kindly. The virtue of treating girls. So there's a whole chapter in Islam about how much reward. So if someone, for example, someone, I ask them, you know, how many children do you have? They're like, mashallah, I have two girls. I'm like, congratulations. Why congratulations? Because if you raise your girls, when they reach their maturity and they get married, they are your promise of Jannah to take care of them. And so Islam came to flip that cultural practice of that all, you know, virtues in having boys. That the virtue, there's, there's that virtue, boys and girls. And actually, I would say on the opposite, we might be living at times where the boys have been put down and slammed down to the, like, the ground. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Like everything is like women, 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 women. And we've like abandoned our boys too. So the boys have become like girly men and stuff like that. <laughs> I'm planning a lecture, inshallah ta'ala, about daughters and about sons. Because it's both. It's not just we take the haqq of one person by rejecting the haqq of someone else. That's not the case. We're fulfilling the haqq of, of both, inshallah ta'ala. From the internal, from within, and you can also say that something like this is also from the intimate. And, and then I'm going to talk about the internal, which is things like inside the Prophet sallallahu the challenges and, um, and so on. The situation with his wives... Because if someone's having marital issues, do you have an example in the Prophet ﷺ? The answer is yes, you do. Right? So the Prophet ﷺ, it was not all like just, you know, there were times where, you know, they plotted against the Prophet ﷺ, the mothers of the believers, Aisha and Hafsa, in a very famous situation that they had planned. I'm not going to go into detail of it, but basically they had planned that they knew that the Prophet ﷺ disliked smell, like bad smells. So Aisha said, to, you know, he ate, um, she said, oh, I smell something bad. And she had agreed with Hafsa that when the Prophet asks you, say that you smell something bad. 
And, and the Prophet said, you know, I just ate honey, I don't know. And then, and then, and then he went and asked Hafsa, and she said, I smell something bad. So this, and then the Prophet said, I'll never eat honey again. He forbade himself from eating honey because it brought like a bad smell. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran revealed, Ya ayyuhan nabiyyu, lima tuharrimu ma ahallallahu lak. O Prophet, why do you make haram that which Allah made halal? Tabtaghi mardata azwajik. It's in Surah Al-Tahrim. But basically there were situations, there was another situation where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had come out for i'tikaf and there was like a, a tent pitched for him and then there was another tent pitched for him one of his uh, other wives had like oh he's going to sleep in my tent and, and the other one said no he's going to sleep in my tent and the Prophet ﷺ got angry that they were like fighting like this and he didn't do i'tikaf that year and he made it up in a subsequent year just realize that when a person goes through situations like that there's some marital issues there's maybe some fights happening in, in the family when um, a person came, his, he was having fights with his wife, and then he went to Umar radiallahu anhu. He's about to knock on the door, and then he hears Umar's wife shouting at him. And this is Umar radiallahu anhu, a very strong wife. So the man left, the man left, and Umar radiallahu anhu saw him, and then he said, Where are you going? He's like, No, no, it's okay. <laughs> and Umar radiallahu anhu said, No, ask, please ask. And then he said, You know, well, I was going to come and, you know, complain to you that my wife is like shouting at me, and then I saw, you know, the situation of your wife. <laughs> and so Umar radiallahu anhu, he said, She washes my clothes, she makes the food, she raises my children, and so on. Can I be patient for, you know, these things? So Umar radiallahu anhu, one of the beautiful things in, in these situations when, you know, when we do like, um, sometimes I do like these discover you, some of you might be familiar with discover you, but one of the, the techniques I love doing when someone explains what their issue is, I love asking everybody else who else has this issue. You're like, oh, you know what, my wife, she's so jealous, she's always running after me and she's always getting mad and so on, who else has that problem? <laughs> you know? And I like, like look and then every single brother will raise their hand. Right? So everybody's in the same situation. And subhanAllah, I'm not going to mess up this uh, by mentioning any like, non-Muslim women names. But you'll see, for example, there was th this woman, she was in a, like, a music video, and she's doing haram with some guy. And I, I read an article where this guy, you know, it was just for the music video, but every time he's at home with his like, girlfriend, she doesn't like to see that music video. Because in the music video, he's like touching this woman, stuff like that, and she has jealousy. <laughs> and I'm like, they're jealousy of what, you know, like the, everybody's like living haram and dressed haram and all of this stuff. But even she has her natural fitra. She doesn't like to see like her boyfriend or her husband to be on TV like that and, and doing such things. So he's like, I don't want to make her mad. So I just like, you know, skip that anytime the, the video comes up. So even with the non-Muslims, they still have that ghira in their hearts, right? Ghira mean is like jealousy. Jealousy, and it's a good jealousy for a person to protect like their, their female family members. Prophet said, khayrukum, khayrukum li ahli. The best of you are those who are best to their family. And so if you treat your family members good, this is a sign that you are of the best Muslims. You are of the best Muslims by your kind treatment to your family members. Internally, or sorry, from within, from within you have when the Prophet ﷺ, when he received revelation, right after that, the revelation cut off. Okay, so right after he received revelation, the revelation cut off. 
So he was so scared, and you know, when, the, uh, when he said Zemmelun, and they covered him up, and he was shaking, and he, he said, I feared for my life, and Khadija radiallahu is consoling him. After that, there was no more revelation, and the Prophet sallallahu feared that Allah was angry at him. And so as the days would go by, and there's different opinion of how long the, the revelation was cut off, but as the time intensified, the Prophet ﷺ became like, um, he had this desire for the revelation to begin again. Right, so massive like that fear in the first revelation, and then after that there's this moment where, you know, the desire increases, 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 until the revelation continues. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed at that point, وَالضُّحَا وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا سَجَى مَا وَدَّعَكَ رَبُّكَ وَمَا قَلَى In the surah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala testifies by the daybreak, right? وَالضُّحَا وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا سَجَى And by the night, مَا وَدَّعَكَ That your Lord has not abandoned you وَمَا قَلَى And He's not angry at you. وَلَلْآخِرَةُ خَيْرٌ لَكَ مِنَ الْأُولَى And that the hereafter is better for you from the, uh, from the first one. وَلَسَوْفَ يُعْتِيكَ رَبُّكَ فَتَرْضَى And Allah will continue to give you until you are pleased. أَلَمْ يَجِدْكَ يَتِيمًا فَآوَى Didn't he find you as an orphan? And so he gave you shelter. وَوَجَدَكَ ضَالًا فَهَدَى And he found you astray and guided you. وَوَجَدَكَ عَائِلًا فَأَغْنَى And he found you in, in like عَائِل means like a person in need of wealth and he enriched you. And so these are three blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which tells us as well the things that he went through. He grew up as an orphan and he may not have had money and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided him to the, to the wahi and the revelation. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says for these three blessings there are now three ways of saying thanks for these blessings. فَأَمَّا الْيَتِيمَ فَلَا تَقْهَرْ وَأَمَّا السَّائِلَ فَلَا تَنْهَرْ وَأَمَّا بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ فَحَدِّثْ So right, فَأَمَّا الْيَتِيمَ فَلَا تَقْهَرْ So you're not repulsing and turning away the orphans. وَأَمَّا السَّائِلَ فَلَا تَنْهَرْ And you're not turning away the person who's asking. Someone might be asking, whatever they're asking for, you don't turn away the person who's asking. وَأَمَّا بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ And as for the blessings of Allah, then speak about it. Surah Al-Duha, of the first surahs, revealed. When the revelation was cut off, they were even used that as a mockery of the Prophet ﷺ, where one of the women came to the Prophet ﷺ and said, I see the devil that comes to you has left you. So even calling Jibreel ﷺ, statements like that are the wahi being cut off. When a person is being tested, right, there are three blessings that you're looking for in the test. Did you say Alhamdulillah for it? Number one is to recognize the test. Number one is to recognize that it's a test. Number two is to thank Allah that you're not being tested in your deen. You're not being tested in your religion. Someone might be tested where they have a shakiness of iman. And their test is like, well, I don't want to pray anymore. Or I don't want to, you know, may Allah protect us. But this is their test. Or someone like their brain just got screwed up and they were like, you know what, I don't believe in hellfire, I don't believe in this, or why does this happen, predestiny, blah, blah, blah. That's a test in one's deen. So if you're being tested, you know, your bus came late or, or something like that, it's not related to your deen like alhamdulillah. You recognize that it's, it's a test, you say alhamdulillah, you recognize that it's a test. Number two, that it's not in your deen. And number three, that it wasn't worse than what it was. That it wasn't worse than what it was. 
So whatever test you have, there's always someone who's been tested with more than what, you, what you're being tested with. So you, whenever like a test comes to me and I start feeling sad, oh, you know what, I didn't bring this, or someone didn't do that, or blah, 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 then I think to myself, there's a brother in prison who would love to accept my test and I switch with him. And so I would say, alhamdulillah, this, this test is nothing in comparison to what other people are being tested with. And you consistently, and, and you're not being tested in your deen, and you recognize that it's a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I have a beautiful example of recognizing the test. I was doing this tafsir jazamma. Did I tell this in the breach of covenant? The, the guy that double parked me? Did I mention that? Okay. In the first Al-Maghrib class, the very first Al-Maghrib class that we taught, I was teaching tafsir jazamma. We're talking about tests. It's a recurring theme through the Quran. Allah tells us tests and the, you know, people are brought tests. And I was talking about you know, recognizing the test and being patient and so on. And then at lunchtime, I went to my car, you know, there's only a short amount of time, I rest during the lunch and come back, and this brother had double parked my car. There's no other, and there were many parking spots, but this brother had like put his car right behind mine and I couldn't get out. And it was getting late, getting late, getting late, and then this brother comes out from the masjid, and I'm like, maybe it's his car. But then he stopped and he started talking to someone, and I said, no, it can't be his car. Because he sees me waiting here. He wouldn't be like so evil <laughs> to, to stop and talk with someone on the way here. <laughs> it was his car. <laughs> okay, so, so, and he came and his, his argument was, I, I know you were teaching a class, I knew you wouldn't need your car. <laughs> that was his argument, I was like, no. So like I lost my cool, I was ticked off, I was angry, you know, and I'm like shaking and so on and so forth. And then afterwards, about like an hour or two late hours later, I re realized that I failed that test. I was just telling people about recognizing tests and being patient, and then Allah tested me and then I wasn't patient. I didn't recognize the test and I wasn't patient. And you know, I'm like, I failed. <laughs> May Allah forget, you know, istighfar and, and so on. And then, I taught that to Sirjazama class in another area, it was in Virginia afterwards. And when I got to that area during the, the class, I said, last time I taught this, when I went out for break, some guy had double parked me and I failed the test. And I said, I am pretty sure that when I go to my car tonight, there will be a ticket waiting for me. <laughs> but I've made the intention to be patient. I've made the intention to be patient because I'm pretty sure something bad is waiting for me outside. And it's the end of the day, I still remember walking to the car and so on and so looking around, looking around, seeing that little flap in the, uh, in the wind, and I take the ticket off, it's like a $75 ticket for parking, in, you know, a no parking area or something like that. And I, and I had made the intention ahead of time to be patient. And I said, Alhamdulillah. <laughs> you know, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't know this was a non-partisan. I said, Alhamdulillah. And, you know, I put the ticket. And I felt like my iman was like so high at that point. I was wearing like a thobe, you know, like I'm just going to go around, walking around with my thobe in public places. <laughs> like, yeah, I got a ticket. <laughs> I got a ticket. And Alhamdulillah, I have good news for you that um, I was patient at that point. It was the happiest ticket of my life. And I had, um, I challenged the ticket. I wrote a beautiful letter to the people. I said, you know, I was visiting the, the campus and I was, you know, I, I was informed, you know, this parking, that parking, and please forgive me. And they wrote back, the lady called me and apologized that she gave me the ticket. And they, you know, and they said, don't worry about it. And they wrote it off. 
I didn't have to pay the ticket. Alhamdulillah. So recognizing tests, not indeed, not worse than indeed. This is um, the diagram that I use for this. And I said this in the breach of covenant class, but let me just say it here. You have things that you're, you can be patient for, right? This is like your patient circle. I go for Umrah and then, and then I get angry at something and whatnot and my wife is like, remember the patient circle, remember the patient circle. There are things you're patient for and then there will be things that are outside of your patience. These are the ones that provoke you. Meaning that there are certain things that are inside your patience, you can be patient for it. Such as all of you here, some person, like you sat here the whole day listening to lectures, like I couldn't do that. Someone will tell you that, right? I couldn't do that, that's outside of my patient circle. <laughs> but alhamdulillah you are here so you can, you can be patient for it it's not a big deal alhamdulillah you can take care of it there was one brother you know he went for hajj with me he's a beautiful brother a very sweet brother and you know always patient always this and that and he and I remember him telling me you know we went for hajj and I wasn't with them for many days I, I didn't get my visa for hajj for such a long time and he was there maybe one week and I wasn't there and he was feeling sad and when I met him he's like I feel really sad he's like Muhammad I can be patient, you know, maybe, you know, the hotel's not that great, and maybe people are pushing and stuff like that, but you know what, I just, I just want to be with you. And then, <laughs> and then I said to him, I said to him, brother, you remember the patient circle thing? I said, basically what you said is everything you can be patient for, except this one thing. I'm like, what did Allah choose to test you with? All of them, <laughs> plus this. Your only opportunity to grow your heart at this point is to accept what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is testing you with now. Even though you don't want it to happen, number one, recognize that it's a test. Number two, is say, alhamdulillah, that's not in your deen. Number three, say, alhamdulillah, that it wasn't worse than what it is. And once you accept it, subhanAllah, once, not, not that you accept it, a lot of people misunderstand. When something bad happens to you, like, do I have to accept it? You don't have to accept it, but you're patient. You recognize that people have been tested with more than, you're patient for it. And then you might take active steps so something like that doesn't happen in the future. But in the situation, you're patient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When that happens, your heart becomes bigger. Your circle gets wider and it encompasses these things that are outside. And you actually, your iman grows stronger because of your patience. Your heart gets bigger and then something else happens. You're like, it's no big deal. I've been tested with much more than that. And alhamdulillah, I was patient. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in his da'wah, he's doing da'wah to the mushrikeen, right? The polytheists, and he has a meeting with the chiefs of Mecca. Like these are the chiefs of Mecca, and he's sitting with them, and they're listening to the Prophet And he has an opportunity to speak to them, and he's telling them, and he's gonna, inshallah ta'ala, guide them to Islam, and everybody's gonna become Muslim. If they become Muslim, everybody's gonna become Muslim. And then this poor blind man comes. And he was Muslim. And he's like, can you tell me about Islam? So he's cutting off the Prophet in the middle of the lecture and he's blind and the Prophet frowns and he turned his back on that man. The man was blind. So he, the man, uh, Abdullah ibn Umm Maksum was blind. He didn't even see the Prophet frown. He didn't see the Prophet turn away from him. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed at that point Surah Abasa, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Abasa wa tawalla, 
أَنْجَاءَهُ الْأَعْمَى وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ لَعَلَّهُ يَزَّكَّى أَوْ يَذَّكَّرُ فَتَنْفَعُهُ الذِّكْرَى أَمَّا مَنِ اسْتَغْنَى فَأَنْتَ لَهُ تَصَدَّى وَمَا عَلَيْكَ أَلَّا يَزَّكَّى وَأَمَّا مَنْ جَاءَكَ يَسْعَى وَهُوَ يَخْشَى فَأَنْتَ عَنْهُ تَلَهَّى These verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, عَبَسَ وَتَوَلَّى The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allah is correcting the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in this situation. And itab, itab is like when, what's a translation for itab? Someone know? Itab? I don't want to say criticism, but you know, a person is reprimand. Reprimand. The Prophet وسلم, would, would welcome Abdullah ibn Maktoum after that, and he said, you know, uh, welcome the person for whom Allah reprimanded me. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed these verses, Abbasa wa Tawalla, he frowned and turned away. And جاءه الأعمى when the blind man came to him وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ لَعَلَّهُ يَزَّكَّنَ What would ever make you understand that perhaps he might be purified? And then the verses go on to say that those people who find themselves self-sufficient like arrogantly, they don't need Allah you're, you pay attention to them but the person who's coming to you running fearing Allah that's the person that you're turning away and you know, d- being distracted from and so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, this shouldn't be the person who's coming to you wants to know, you should turn to that person. And the Prophet sallallahu is doing this in hopes that these people would become Muslim. If they become Muslim, then you know, so many people would accept Islam and so on and so forth. And Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum was, was already Muslim. And he could talk to him later, but yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still reprimanded him in this situation. And as well with regards to the slaves, the mushrikeen, they were like the aristocrats. You had the aristocrats in Mecca. They didn't like slaves to be sitting around the Prophet and that they would sit amongst the slaves. So they said to the Prophet we will sit amongst you and we'll listen to what you say on one condition. And the condition is that you expel the slaves. Like tell them don't sit here. Like oh slaves just go away and I'll sit with the aristocrats of Mecca. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed don't expel those who call upon their Lord in the mornings and the evening seeking the countenance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. With regards to internal sadness, sadness for that the people aren't becoming Muslim, I'm going to give you like a series of verses showing you that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is addressing the sadness that the Prophet has for what they're saying and what they're doing. In one of the verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلَا يَحْزُنْكَ قَوْلُهُمْ Don't let what they're saying make you sad. In another verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مَا أَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْقُرْآنَ لِتَشْقَى That we didn't reveal this Qur'an that you would fall into sadness and grief. In another verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَعَلَّكَ بَاخِعٌ نَفْسَكَ أَلَّا يَكُونُوا مُؤْمِنِينَ That perhaps you would kill yourself in grief because they're not becoming believers. In another verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّكَ لَا تَهْدِي مَنْ أَحْبَبْتَ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ يَهْدِي مَنْ يَشَاءَ that you can't guide whom you wish. 
Prophet ﷺ wished for everybody to be guided. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, you can't guide whom you wish, but rather it is Allah who guides whoever He wishes. In another surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قَدْ نَعْلَمُ إِنَّهُ لَيَحْزُنُكَ الَّذِي يَقُولُونَ فَإِنَّهُمْ لَا يُكَذِّبُونَكَ In this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Verily we know that it grieves you and saddens you what they're saying. What they're saying is grieving you and saddening you, and we know this. In another verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَحْزَنْ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا تَكُ فِي ضَيْطٍ مِمَّا يَمْكُرُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَحْزَنْ عَلَيْهِمْ And don't be sad and grieved over them. وَلَا تَكُ فِي ضَيْطٍ مِمَّا يَمْكُرُونَ And don't be in constrictiveness and, and like this fear of what they're plotting against you. So all of these things you will see that the Prophet ﷺ internally that there is a lot of sadness and grief connected to the guidance of the people. And so for us, for a lot of times, we might be living with so many people who don't have the message of Islam, but we're not grieved by the misguidance that we see. We're not grieved by it. In fact, if you see someone who's grieved, you know, it'll probably be for something selfish. There's something happening in the person's life that's making them grieved and once that thing is taken care of, they're not grieved anymore. Yet the Prophet ﷺ is in consistent battle to guide the people to Islam.